The Field Bazaar by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Dale Grothman. The Field Bazaar by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. I should certainly do it, said Sherlock Holmes. I started at the interruption for my companion had been eating his breakfast with his attention entirely centered upon the paper which was propped up by the coffee-pot now i looked across at him to find his eyes fastened upon me with the half amused half questioning expression which he usually assumed when he felt he had made an intellectual point do what i asked he smiled as he took his slipper from the mantelpiece and drew from it enough shag tobacco to fill the old clay pipe with which he invariably rounded off his breakfast a most characteristic question of yours watson he said you will not i'm sure be offended if i say that any reputation for sharpness which i may possess has been entirely gained by the admirable foil which you have made for me have i not heard of debutantes who have insisted upon plainness in their chaperones there is certainly analogy our long companionship in the Baker Street rooms had left us on those easy terms of intimacy when much may be said without offense. And yet I acknowledge that I was nettled by his remark. I may be very obtuse, I said, but I confess that I am unable to see how you have managed to know what I was, I was, asked to help the Edinburgh University Bazaar precisely the letter has only just come to hand and i have not spoken to you since in spite of that said holmes leaning back in his chair and putting his fingertips together i would even venture to suggest that the object of the bazaar is to enlarge the university cricket field i looked at him with such bewilderment that he vibrated with silent laughter the fact is my dear watson that you are an excellent subject he said you are never blasé you respond instantly to any external stimulus your mental processes may be slow but they are never obscure and i found during breakfast that you were easier to read than the leader in the times in front of me i should be glad to know how you arrived at your conclusion i said i fear that my good nature in giving explanations has seriously compromised my reputation said holmes but in this case the train of reasoning is based upon such obvious facts that no credit can be claimed for it you entered the room with a thoughtful expression the expression of a man who is debating some point in his mind in your hand you held a solitary letter now last night you retired in the best of spirits so it was clear that it was this letter in your hand which had caused the change in you that's obvious it is all obvious when it is explained to you i naturally ask myself what the letter could contain which might have this effect upon you as you walked you held the flap side of the envelope towards me and i saw upon it the same shield-shaped device which i have observed upon your old college cricket cap it was clear then that the request came from edinburgh university or from some club connected with the university when you reached the table you laid down the letter beside your plate with the address uppermost 
and you walked over to look at the framed photograph on the left of the mantelpiece. It amazed me to see the accuracy with which he had observed my movements. What next? I asked. I began by glancing at the address, and I could tell, even at a distance of six feet, that it was an unofficial communication. This I gathered from the use of the word doctor upon the address, to which, as a bachelor of medicine, you have no legal claim. I knew that the university officials were pedantic in their correct use of titles, and I was thus enabled to say, with certainty, that your letter was unofficial. When, on your return to the table, you turned over your letter and allowed me to perceive that the enclosure was a printed one, the idea of a bazaar first occurred to me. I had already weighed the possibility of its being a political communication, but this seemed improbable in the present stagnant conditions of politics. When you returned to the table, your face still retained its expression, and it was evident that your examination of the photograph had not changed the current of your thoughts. In that case, it must itself bear upon the subject in question. I turned my attention to the photograph, therefore, and saw at once that it consisted of yourself as a member of the Edinburgh University Eleven, with the pavilion and cricket field in the background. My small experience with cricket clubs has taught me that next to churches and cavalry ensigns, they are the most debt-laden things upon the earth. When upon your return to the table I saw you take out your pencil and draw lines upon the envelope, I was convinced that you were endeavoring to realize some projected improvement which was to be brought about by the bazaar. Your face still showed some indecision, so that I was able to break in upon you with my advice that you should assist in so good an object. I could not help smiling at the extreme simplicity of his explanation. Of course, it was as easy as possible, said I. My remark appeared to nettle him. I may add, he said, that the particular help with which you have been asked to give was that you should write in their album, and that you have already made up your mind that the present incident will be the subject of your article. But how? I cried. It is as easy as possible, he said and I leave its solution to your own integrity. In the meantime, he added, raising his paper, you will excuse me if I return to this very interesting article upon the trees of Cremona, and the exact reason for the preeminence in the manufacture of violins. It is one of those small outlying problems to which I am sometimes tempted to direct my attention. The End of The Field Bazaar by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle